Well, good morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be studying today. This is the second uh, message in this series on chapter 8 of Romans. Romans 8 is said to be, by many theologians and writers, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, I think that uh, they're all important, but this one certainly is so magnificent because it talks about the great salvation of God for us. And, it, and it, it, it talks about the many benefits that God brings to us through that great salvation. And today, the message is entitled, The Spirit Who Helps You. The Spirit Who Helps You. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a wonderful thing for someone to come and help you, but it's a wonderful thing if they will stay along with you. If they won't just like, here, I'm going to give this to you, now leave me alone but rather, I'm here for you. All that I have, all that I am, everything I possess, I bring into this relationship for your benefit and for your help. And that's what Romans 8 talks about in this particular passage. I think about the impact that someone coming into your life can have. When I married Cindy, uh, after a, a couple years of courtship, three proposals over two and a half years. She finally said yes, and, and we, we got married, and I got to take her home with me. I didn't have to deliver her back to her house. She got to come home with me, and you know, I, I, she was my best friend, and I, I wanted more than anything to be with her, and after I married her, I brought her back with me to the Philippines where I was serving as a missionary and I had already tried my best to kind of pretty up my room. I mean, I was definitely a bachelor. So I, I went and I bought curtains and pillows and even a couch. I thought I had done a marvelous job and she came in after we were married and, and you know, it, it, was, it was great. Um, that first morning though, when she woke up, she turned over and she looked in the corner of the room close to the bed at one of my prized possessions. It was a statue about this tall of an Igorot man, which is a tribal guy in the mountains. And um, there is history and tradition that those, those tribes fought and there were headhunters among them. Don't be thinking that there's a bunch of headhunters in the Philippines right now. I don't really think they are actively doing that. Don't know. Um, but, uh, but it, it was like the, the tourist thing to buy was this, this statue of a Igorot warrior. He had his foot on a body, his hand held up with a head dangling, and a sword in the other hand. I thought it was the coolest thing. Cindy, however, didn't have that opinion. She rolled over and she said, Oh, Eddie, this has got to go. I said, what do you mean? She said, no, no, no. I can't wake up every morning and look at that. I said, but Cindy, I bought this when I was 10 years old. This has been with me for 10 years. I mean, it's one of my prized possessions. And she says, Eddie, I can't do it. I need you to take this out. I said, well, uh, okay, I guess I'll get it. No, no, she says, I need you to get up right now and get this out of the room because I can't stand to see this. 
immediately she began to change my world. I mean, the beautiful room I had prettified, she then began to slowly work her magic. She bought more pillows and some decorations. And I began to watch, and over the next few months, my dorm room turned into more of a home. And I liked it. She's been with me through ups and downs for decades. She's still my best friend, the person I want to be with. She gets me. She knows me. She understands me. She tells me when I'm acting a little crazy because I asked her to do that for me years ago. And she does. She tells me when my attitude is slipping. She tells me when I need to have more faith. She reminds me that I need to live out my faith when I'm challenged in a way that is practical and real and observable by her and the rest of the family. We've lost children together. We've grieved the loss of our loved ones together. We've experienced scary things like coup d'etats and times when we didn't know if we were going to have enough money to make it and so many things. But because she was in my life, I was stronger. I was better. Together we did more than I could have ever done alone. Why am I telling you this? Because when you read through the book of Romans, especially in chapter 8, you're going to see a God who says, I have prepared this magnificent salvation for you because I love you so much in your mess. I love you in your fallenness and your brokenness and in your trouble. And you can't change yourself or you can't save yourself. But if you'll get to the point where you will beg for my forgiveness and receive the salvation that you can't earn or deserve, you just beg for, I will give it to you. That's what, that's what that, the, the first part of, of um, Romans chapter 8 begins to talk about. I just want to read that, okay? It's, the gift of salvation is incredible. Beginning in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm talking to some of you here today that you think you have, accept, you have accepted Christ, and you know that for sure, but you, you are discouraged with yourself because you do not live up to what you know is where you need to be headed and you wonder if God isn't just tired of you. And you, you wonder if he stopped forgiving you. You wonder if he just doesn't care about you anymore. And I'm here to tell you that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When he saved you, he knew how long your sanctification was going to take. And he was committed to go with you every single step of the way. So do not lose heart. Understand that God's love for you is unconditional. And it will never run out. And he never will grow tired of you. And this salvation is an intricate, magnificent, theologically sound, just salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set 
you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is full of rich theology. God in the person of Jesus, who is described by John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. All of the requirements of a righteous holy, good thinking, just God. They were satisfied in the person of Jesus when he went to the cross and then he rose three days later. All of this was accomplished so that God could give to you eternal life and say, now I want you to know there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It doesn't say to those who are perfect. It doesn't say to those who have been fully sanctified no it just says to those who are in Christ I'm here to give it to you and I will stay with you we got a journey ahead of us but I promise I'm going to be with you and that that's the second part of this I mean, this is the focus of this passage the Holy Spirit changes you because the person of God who brings with him all of his power and wisdom and might and understanding, he comes in. It's not like God just, it's not like electricity where he just, okay, here, zap, have the power. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to come into your life. Because this whole thing started because I love you. I want you Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, make no mistake, this verse is describing every one of us in this room because we all started with that kind of an attitude toward God. A hostility toward God. Uh, a, 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 we, we were like at war with God. But, but then when Jesus comes in, he changes us. And the per, person of the Holy Spirit, he, he begins... <clears throat> to transform how we think about who God is and how we think about God's ways. It is a change of heart and a mindset. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is working in you. He's not just working in you when you're in church or when you're reading your Bible and praying. He works in you at all times. He never leaves you or forsakes you. You know, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 121, verse 4. He never sleeps um, or slumbers. Hey, you know, God is awake when you're asleep. You know that? He never goes off duty. He's there for you. In Psalm 139, it talks about how that God is so present in our lives. He's every, every day, every moment with us. Oh, Lord, you searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar of off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. 
You're acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue. And behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it is high. I cannot attain it. And then it goes on in Psalm 139. talks about how can you ever even escape the presence of God. It's just not possible because God is here. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is one of the most amazing and transforming realities for those who are in Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to help you and hold on to you and transform you. And, and he will convict you and you will confess and he, you will be forgiven. And his righteousness will be, be developed in you. Sometimes like a Polaroid camera. You know how you take the picture and then you hold it out and you watch it come to life. You know how that goes? How many of you have ever seen a Polaroid camera? Some of you have been to weddings where they do that. So, I mean, they, there was a day when people had to develop every picture that they took. You all don't know about that. But anyway, uh, the Polaroids have made a comeback at weddings. And it begins to come back, the picture. And God is, God is at work. Today, either you are born again and a child of God, or you are not born again. Today, you either have, by the grace of God, received the free gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit lives within you and he begins to transform you or you haven't. And there's some observations that um, if, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, our natural tendency is that we are hostile toward God. You say, wait, hostile toward God, that's... That's a, that's a pretty, pretty strong term. Well, uh, yeah, it is. Um, but the truth is, people are fighting God all the time. Don't you hear people talk about how they're angry at God, how they don't understand God? How they, they, why did God let that happen? Why did God not let this happen? I mean, people are con their default position is to be hostile toward God. And in fact, it goes on to say that people are at enmity with God. I mean, they're fighting God. They're warring with God. They are the enemy of God. And you might say, well, that's, that's, that's a little bit extreme. It, it is not extreme, it, but it, it doesn't say that those people that are hostile toward God and they're fighting God, that they, there's nothing good about them, uh, but they certainly in their heart of hearts, in their primary disposition, do not have a relationship with God that has freed them from their struggle and delivered them into a victory that people who have accepted Christ experience. If you're there to, here today and you think, well, you know, I, honestly, I can see that sometimes my default position is I'm, I'm angry at God. I kind of fight God and I argue with God and what he's doing. And well, th there's, There is more. You could accept Jesus Christ today and he would transform your heart and all of a sudden you would feel like God's on my team God is like my God who helps me. Uh, I don't understand him. I'm frustrated sometimes, but I, I still feel like he's there for me and with me. One day I was sitting in a meeting, a trustees meeting over at BBC. And during that meeting, I got this text from my son, Robert, who was at the time a, a student at one of the universities here in town. And this is what he said. Dad, everyone 
including my professor in my class, is talking about religion and science. They're saying, if you believe what I believe, you're a complete fool. Please pray for me to know if I need to say anything. It's really tough here. This happens. Why? Because those who are in the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the world. And by default, they're angry at God. They're the enemies of God. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I just, I, I just don't want a God who believes that. I think that God should do this or do that. I mean, I can believe in a God who will, you know, be more charitable to people who want to do what they want to do. And to think that a God would ever talk about sending someone to hell, I, I can't believe in a God like that. But, but do you notice what's going on in that kind of rhetoric? What's going on in that rhetoric, rhetoric is, I will decide whether I can approve of God. You know, if that is your position, do you know what you've done? You've just demoted God and made yourself God, and you're creating a God in your own image, not letting the God who rules all things declare his truth. I mean, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He knows the beginning and the end. I just don't want to believe in a God like that, people say. Why? Why? Because, Romans says, our default position is to live at enmity with God and to be hostile toward God. And when we set our mind on things of the flesh, we are, we, we are locked in to being just a person of this world, of these temporal times. It's eat, drink, and be merry because there's nothing to hope for beyond the grave. That's the way we start. But according to Romans 8, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he transforms us. Now, I, I am a church kid. My dad was a pastor and then a missionary. A lot of you out there are church kids. I know your story. And sometimes we try to figure things out on our own, and we're not just so sure we can believe everything that my mom and dad said, and why do I have to just go with the flow of the church community? I, I will decide. And, okay. And then finally, I, I accepted Christ. I accepted Christ as my Savior. And then I began to, like the Holy Spirit just hung on to me. That's all I have to say. Okay? If, if I've come to any right conclusions from the Bible, it's because the Holy Spirit didn't let me go. But I do remember in my teenage years that it, I could feel like God was changing my heart. All of a sudden, it came to me that if God is the creator of heaven and earth and he wrote a book, Instructions for Life, and he's not arbitrarily knocking out fun things for us to do, but he talks about righteousness and holiness, and he calls us to live right. I mean, you want to live wrongly? Is that your goal? It began to make sense to me that, you know, if I were to just trust in him, I love that song, Rest in Him. If I would just look at what Scripture said, and before I made all the mistakes I see going on around me, what if I were to decide to seek God as best as I could 
and follow his plan for my life in building my family in, in, in every decision. And then in my heart of hearts, all of a sudden, I, I came to this feeling like, why would I not want to get all the blessings that walking along the right path that God has defined could give to somebody? Why would I not want my life to be as good as it could be? Now, I'm not saying that bad things can't happen. No, but, but some bad things happen because I make them happen. And so in my heart of hearts, I, I found myself asking God to show me how to live according to his plan. I wasn't trying to manipulate God. I wasn't trying to convince him to do anything. I was legitimately, and I could feel this inside, I was seeking God. I was wanting him to show me and help me. And when I sinned and I messed up, I felt grieved that somehow I walked away from God. And you know what I would do? I would be convicted by the Holy Spirit and I would go to God and I would confess my sin and I'd ask him to forgive me and change me and help me. I mean, one of my favorite verses, because it's most used, is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But confessing sins as a believer filled with the Holy Spirit is a whole different experience than being angry at God because you have some kind of guilt and you're sad for the dis destruction that sin brought to your life and you're just mad at God that your way didn't work out the way you had hoped it would. But I could feel the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. That's why this is such a magnificent salvation. God doesn't say, I'll save you, but now you're on your own. Figure it out. No, he, doesn't. he says, I will save you. You don't deserve it. But I'm never going to give up on you now because you belong to me. And I'm going to hold on to you. And I will be patient with you. And I will forgive you every day of your life. And I will, I will let you learn your lessons. And I will, I, will, I will let you sense my plan and my path. This is what he's describing 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I guess my question is, have you ever experienced a newness of life? Or is the honest truth you're still kind of a little bit hostile toward God and annoyed with him and even angry with him? And you get sick and tired of Christians who talk about how God is been good to them and bless them and help them and you're like yeah that's really nice and would you please shut up is that how you feel okay you, you know what Romans 8 here is doing it's like taking an x-ray of your soul not to condemn you but to show you if you need to accept Christ today and if you accept Christ the Holy Spirit of God will come in and he'll begin to do a work you could never do on your own. And he'll never give up on you. He'll be patient with you. 
He'll forgive you. He is committed to what the Bible calls your sanctification. I heard a preacher tell the story of his wife's father who um, did not want anything to do with God. He was a grouchy man, and he didn't show affection to his daughter or to anybody around him. He had no interest in God or the Bible or Bible study or Christian people, and and his son-in-law was a preacher, and he couldn't stand that. Then one day, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And under the pressure of that illness, his hard heart became softer. And he finally was willing to listen to the gospel. And in his desperation, he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And this this man says the transformation in his father-in-law was remarkable. All of a sudden, in his hospital bed, he wanted to read the Bible. And when someone offered to help him study the Bible, he wanted that very much. The change was remarkable. This crusty old shell began to soften as he grew sicker. His daughter would call him up every day and would always end the conversation with, I love you, Daddy. And then he would hang up. Secretly, what she wanted more than anything else was for her daddy, even just once, to respond with, I love you. But he never did. Night after night, the conversation would end with her saying, I love you, Daddy. And then everything would go silent. He said until the night before her daddy died, he was listening to the conversation. And at the end of their conversation, this man heard his wife say the words, I love you too, Daddy. And that night he died. And so the last words she ever heard her daddy say were the words she had wanted to hear him say for her entire lifetime. And how did that happen? He was transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, the Holy Spirit gives power. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in, the, in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. I mean, the, the Jesus, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. There is not a problem that is bigger than what is required in power to raise Jesus from the dead. This is why you and I, who are in Christ, have extremely great hope. Why? Because God is at work. And the Holy Spirit, he brings life. He brings life to us. You know, I, I, I remember one time driving by a house, and I remarked to Cindy that, hey, you know, look at those people's flowers. It seems early, but those flowers are in full bloom, and they're beautiful and bright. And, and, um, and so as we drove off, she says, uh, um, Eddie, you, you do know those flowers are fake, right? Oh, well, I guess I, guess I do now. 
You know, the good thing about fake flowers is you can plant them early in the spring and they're already in full bloom and they look beautiful, right? But by the end of the summer, the sun has faded all the colors and no new blooms have ever appeared and no leaves have ever, ever appeared. Because you know why? There's no life in artificial flowers. You plant real flowers and they grow and they multiply. You know, when the Holy Spirit is in us, he produces fruit because there's life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit, according to verse 6, he provides life and peace. The Holy Spirit gives us peace with God, the peace of God. He helps us to have peace with people. Um, This is the work of the Holy Spirit that is part of the magnificence salvation. Now remember, we're still in a battle with sin. What is required is not for us to put ourselves in neutral. We must, according to verse 13, put sin to death. What is required to move forward in your walk with God is total surrender to the Holy Spirit. You don't just need a little sprinkling of God here and there. Total surrender is radical. Total surrender of yourself, of your marriage, of your values, uh, uh, everything about you. you. You always will say yes to God when he convicts you and tells you that's not the right thing to do. When you, when you stop saying yes to God, he stops moving you forward. He's waiting for you to go back and say yes to what he just told you about. You, sometimes we pray, oh God, what am I supposed to do? He says, I told you, but you hadn't done it yet. I'm not gonna give you the next instruction till you go back and complete that one because that's the way I work. Total surrender is what is required. A man by the name of Wilbur Reese wrote a poem that has been subsequently revised, but here's kind of how it goes. So many times people have this attitude, I'd like to buy a $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I mean, I don't want enough of him to make me love my political enemies or to open my home to the migrant. I want ecstasies, not, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That just doesn't work. It's total surrender or nothing. That's the only way God can be powerful in our lives. And this power of God is amazing. I'm not saying here that you won't go through a difficult time. I'm saying, because in Romans 8, these are people that are going through tremendous trials and tribulations and persecutions. But what's going on is when you have the power of the resurrected Christ in you, no matter what you're going through, you can survive it. This week I spoke to a father whose son has been in the hospital for a week and they don't know what's going on and they can't help him. And he's in pain and nothing's helping. And he says, you know, the doctors have told us that they have run out of pain medicines to try. And we don't know what to do. They said we probably should take him to a hospital in Kansas City. And this man with a big bright smile, we're talking man to man, 
I says, are you doing okay? He says, I'm okay. Even while his eyes moisten with tears that he won't allow to come. He says, you know what? No matter what happens, we're going to be okay. What was he talking about? You know what that was code for? And if my son goes on, he'll be with Jesus. And it's going to be okay. That's why followers of Jesus cannot be defeated. Because the power that is at work in us is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who can give us strength to go through everything. And some of you have experienced that. And I see it in your face. And I see it, hear it in your conversation. And I thank you for your testimony. Because you proved to me once again that it's real and true great thing about the gospel is it's free the second thing is that the Holy Spirit comes with salvation God doesn't say here take it and leave me alone no he says hey what I, what I want to do is I want to save you and I'll hold on to you from now into eternity and I'll never give up on you and my power will be at work in you and so you can just trust in me I love that song just rest in me I want to ask you to bow your heads if you will